0: Hello everyone and welcome to Traffic on Hear Women Talk Radio, produced and broadcast by the Zeus Radio Network. Welcome back listeners, again on Thursday. uh, You can call in, you can chat, you can listen at 646-652-2071 or at hearwomentalk.com, that's H-E-R-E, womentalk.com. Phone the neighbors, tell your friends. Come on and listen now, invite others. We have an amazing show. We're going to start with uh, Berendee and travel back around to Small Town USA. So tune in. Now, I would like to start with my rant and rave for the day. I I think it's more of a rant this time. Um, But I'd like to point out something that many people may not know. Um, it certainly was a surprise to me a year or two ago when I did some research on this. How do planes, video games, uh, cell phones, and medical implants, can you imagine how those are directly related to genocide and conflict? Today, not in the past, but now. Um, there's an amazing mineral called uh, coltan. And uh, I have a lot of information about it. I'll post it on our social site. But what it is is this uh, this very sought after mineral that compiles it. It's made up of about one percent of the Earth's crust, so it's fairly rare. But it occurs in volume in certain countries throughout the world, and it is it is really key and helping to make cell phones work and and jet engines and gaming systems. And even when I researched further, I found out that it makes implants, It's it's resistant to bodily fluids, so it's non-corrosive, so it's used for medical procedures and implants. And you would think countries that had this, that had this rare mineral would really benefit and the people living on the land that produces this would be living the life they deserve because these are amazing things they're miraculous instead this has brought increased poverty slavery child labor and genocide to its rightful owners um, there are reports that this actual mineral funds the conflict in the Congo and uh, one report said it's estimated that the Rwandan army who has invaded into the, con- um, the, the, the Congo has um, made at least $250 million over a period of 18 months and yet Rwanda has no Coltan. So, you know, there's, there's many things surrounding this and yet if you pick up your cell phone or your kid's gaming device you are directly related to some of these atrocities. The reason I bring this up is because Rwanda and the the DCR have a history or or a a history of genocide and conflict. And we're told that it stopped, that it went away, that it's okay now. But that's really not the truth. And I'm going to quote the um, ambassador of the office to monitor and combat trafficking in persons, Louis Tabaka. He says, These women in the Democratic Republic of Congo are enslaved and handed shovels or tin cans in order to harvest the tantalum, which is one of the minerals in the coltan, a rare element used in mobile phones. He said, It is a war crime, and we need to think of it as a war crime. So, you're informed When you are making purchases, you have a direct ability to affect the people that buy this mineral. Write your cell phone providers. Do an opinion piece in the paper. Do research on your own. The thing about private industry, it can change quickly, and it can make things better. And you're the purchaser. You are the customer. You are correct. You tell them what you want, they will adapt. That's my rant for the day. Now I'd like to introduce our uh, our first guest. He is uh, Ambassador Bob Krueger. He is a former U.S. United States Senator from Texas. He served the Clinton administration in Africa, and he was an ambassador to Burundi, which is neighboring to Rwanda. His outspokenness against genocide and oppression um, led to directly to his convoy being attacked. Um, several people were killed and wounded and yet that has not slowed him down or stirred him away from justice. He has uh, been a countless and tireless, he continues to be a tireless advocate for justice and democracy around the world. And I'm so fortunate to have him as our guest today. Welcome, Ambassador Kruger.
1: Thank you very much, Dottie. I'm pleased to be with you and, and your many guests.
0: Well, thank you. I know you're very busy, and I know you've had just a grueling schedule lately, and uh, and we uh, appreciate the time that you're giving us today.
1: Glad to be with you. Glad to be with you. So uh, let's begin our conversation.
0: Okay. Well, let's start with the obvious. Where is Burundi? Tell me about it.
1: Burundi is directly in the heart of Africa, and it immediately borders both the Democratic Republic of Congo, which you were just talking about, and Rwanda. On the other side, it borders Tanzania. But it's two degrees below the equator, basically right in the center of Africa. And um, it's a country only the size of Maryland, but it has eight million people now. It had six when I was there in the 90s. Today has eight. Uh, It has the same ethnic makeup as Rwanda. And during our time in Burundi, it had uh, a quieter, less extreme genocide. If you can be less extreme about something like genocide than Rwanda, but uh, I arrived in Rwanda, I arrived in Burundi, uh, right next door to, to Rwanda, uh, while the genocide was still going on in Rwanda, and indeed, in many ways, the genocide is continuing. Although the U.S. and the Western world and the world at large doesn't want to recognize that genocide but it is, it is still there in Rwanda, although Burundi has finally achieved peace. During my time there, ni- mid-90s, um, Burundi had at least 100 murders a day, uh, almost all by the army, which was 100% Tutsi, as 100% of the judiciary was Tutsi, 100% of the, uh, the police force and all law enforcement officers. And 90% of educational slots in secondary school and university went to the Tutsi, although they made up only 15% of the population. So they had been lords there, basically, and their serfs for a very long period of time. But if you just calculate 100 deaths a day in a country that size, it would have been, compared with the U.S. population, then like 4,200 deaths a day in the U.S.A., which is more than 9/11, or it would have been, in effect, like having uh, nine, nine, or ten 9/11s uh, every week, and it was like having an Oklahoma City massacre every hour of the day, 24 hours of the day, and no one paid attention. No one. So, it uh, the world is has immense suffering and carnage going on at all times uh, that basically most of us are scarcely aware of it. and it was my good fortune and the good fortune of my family to be there during that time and good fortune in the sense that uh, we could as representatives of the world's most powerful country we could speak out uh, and felt more comfortable in speaking out on what was happening than did others because um we were less at risk.
0: Well, I think it's real important to point out, and in, in, um, you had a unique role there because you were an appointed ambassador, and uh, you were able to speak out um, due to your unique position. And then another thing I wanted to also um, have you comment on is the reason um, we'll hear a, a poem from our, our our poet Larry Jaffe later, and in his book *One Child Sold*, he writes about slavery and genocide together. And in my studies, in my um, professional career, I've been drawn to the two because once you can enslave somebody, genocide's not that far away, is it?
1: No, I mean it's it's the next it's the next logical step. If you value lives so little that you are willing to enslave other lives, then when we think of our own history of slavery in this country you know you could cut down a slave and kill them and suffer no retribution whatsoever you weren't breaking the law this it property It's kind of like cutting down a pine tree
0: yes and I've really understood what it means when um, when we protect the sanctity of human life when you've seen where it, it totally has disappeared then you go back and understand that it is important to re- protect and regard the human spirit and the soul. And uh, when you were in Burundi because you were able to speak out, um, can can you define? Can you explain to us your role there and how you were able to use it? Maybe a little more bravely than, than some of the, I guess, uh, maybe more of the the people that would be in a maybe not an appointed position as you were.
1: Well, first of all, uh, I mean, in, we have bureaucracies in business and in government and in all aspects of life. Education, I mean, and people inside a bureaucracy are tempted to want to rise in bureaucracy to get the next step up, to get the higher salary or the more responsible position. As a politically, as a former office holder and a political appointee, I was not part of the system in the usual way. I was put in at a high level, which an ambassador is, but I wasn't looking to rise in the State Department. So frankly, I didn't care what people in the State Department thought about what I was doing. I was going to follow uh, my conscience, and I could not live with myself if I had remained silent when I saw children with their heads split open or went to a hospital as I did and saw an 18-month-old little girl who'd been bayoneted the vagina so that she would never have children was I to remain silent on that if I could tolerate that in silence I could tolerate anything and I would be nothing so I was very very outspoken and a lot of people in Washington didn't like that because they never want to make waves in a bureaucracy uh, you don't want to make waves you don't want to cause conflict I I told her, I sent back a cable on one instance in which I was going to give a press conference because I had personally gone out and in a day and a half discovered and had the names of 70 people who'd been killed on one hillside. And I knew that they wouldn't want me to do it. Uh, they'd be reluctant. So I sent back a cable to the State Department and I started off saying, Martin Luther King has said that those who remain silent in the face of injustice become parties to that injustice. And President Clinton, in appointing me, has said that human rights is a top priority for the U.S. government. So I put Martin Luther King on one side of me, and the President of the United States on the other, and basically dared <laughs> the State Department to tell me I should not give the press conference. So I gave it, and I showed photos, and I released the 70 names, and one of the consequences was, two weeks later, two newspapers on their front page broadly called for my assassination. But uh, by speaking out, I certainly didn't end genocide, but I would reduce the number of lives taken because the army would pull out of those areas where it was slaughtering people and have to move somewhere else. And they knew that they couldn't live in absolute silence uh, as long as I was there.
0: And that's really important because, um, in order for them, whoever, whether it's someone enslaving another here in the United States or, or an army enslaving its population around the world and, and further moving to eradicate them, if they can do it in silence, if they can do it without having it brought to light or having any bureaucracies rough, you know, their feathers ruffled, then they will. I mean, they definitely, can profit and benefit by silence is, is that what you saw
1: absolutely I mean cockroaches do not like sunlight and <clears throat> the people <clears throat> excuse me the genocidists don't want their actions known uh, they uh, there was there was not a single permanently assigned international reporter in the whole country of Burundi or Rwanda probably at that time I'm not sure about Rwanda but I know it wasn't in Burundi and so I would go out into the countryside, and then I would report on these things, and I would phone Agence France Presse, or I would phone the BBC, or get anybody that I could to talk about it, because murderers don't like to have their identities revealed, and they were murderers.
0: And you called them that? Is that correct? I mean, they, you know, so many times when I'm talking about trafficking, um, I say what it is. It's it's forced rape. It's, um, it's murder, it's kidnapping, and I have to put the right crime to the name of trafficking, and it sounds like, you know, saying murderers and genocide and keep explaining it shines the light on it. Um, we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll come right back and expound upon those ideas.
2: with host Dottie Lassiter on Hear Woman Talk, produced by Zeus Radio Network. We welcome your questions or comments. Call in at 646-652-2071 or post your comments on the chat line at hearwomantalk.com. Again, our call-in number is 646-652-2071. You may also listen to the live broadcast over your phone at the same number. That's 646-652-2071.
3: Hello, race fans. This is Jeff Gilder, creator of racersreunion.com. When you're in Myrtle Beach, check out my favorite, the Caravel Resort. The Caravel Resort has a golf department and concierge with golf privileges at virtually every course on the Grand Strand, including the coveted Dunes Club.
4: And ladies, pamper yourself with Caravelle's Studio Spa.
5: Hi, folks. This is private investigator Vicki Childs, host of the Vicki Childs Show on Hear Women Talk Radio. How safe is your cell phone? Is someone listening to all your calls or reading your text messages? How about your computer? Is someone watching all your keystrokes? Or do you... Want to know what your child, your employee, or your spouse are doing on a computer or cell phone? If you need computer or cell phone forensics, do what I do. Talk to Steve Abrams at abramsforensics.com. Steve is a highly respected and skilled forensics expert as well as an attorney. Contact Steve Abrams for a free 15-minute consultation at abramsforensics.com. That's abramsforensics.com, or click on the Abrams Forensics banner ad on Hear Women Talk and use promo code H. Hi, this is Michelle with LaBellamy Vineyard. You're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network.
0: Welcome back, everyone. We are um, have our guest, Ambassador Bob Krueger, former United States Senator, and uh, he was talking about his time in Burundi. We were discussing genocide and slavery and the products that we all are, are benefiting from and purchasing and how they're getting to us. And I want to go back now. Um, Ambassador Krueger, we were talking in the break, and you said that the Democratic Republic of the Congo is 18 miles from where you were and you visited there and witnessed um, gold being mined. Can you elaborate on that? Uh,
1: Yes. um, The Democratic Republic of Congo has been pure chaos for years and years and years. I'm not sure when they've... uh, Well, I'm not sure that they've had a, a legitimate government in I don't know what length of time because certainly I can't figure that Belgian colonialism was a legitimate government had the, the Democratic Republic of Congo, just to give people a sense of size and scale, is as big as the USA east of the Mississippi. It is a huge country and has many, many minerals. Uh, but when the Belgians left in 1957, I believe it was, and ended their colonial reign, do you know that there were not ten university graduates in that entire country? Not wow. ten. Indeed, I'm told, on good authority, that Democratic Republic of Congo, Rwanda, and Burundi together, all Belgian colonies, did not have ten university graduates when they received their independence. So, if people wonder sometimes why are things uh, so hard, why is progress so slow, realize that fifty. What would the USA be like if 50 years ago we had had fewer than ten university graduates? Where would our standard of living be, and what would be our standard of understanding of human dignity?
0: And how would the world be able to take advantage of that?
1: Yes, I mean because people are then subject. They have they have been, you know, from the time that the Belgians came in with their machine guns until uh, the newer machine guns of of uh, Mobutu and others came in, it was uh, it was just run as you know as sort of one person's big farm uh, except they didn't you know they were farming whatever they could take and uh, as long as they were quotes anti-communist it didn't seem to matter to the West how corrupt it was you know I wanted to go when I my first week or so from Burundi over into Democratic Republic of Congo Uh, the security people wanted us to do that in case we had to be uh, airlifted out because Rwanda was right next door and they didn't know if Burundi might totally blow up so i went over and when i got to the border uh, the man you know i i thought i haven't used my french in some time am i not understanding but yeah he wanted he wanted me to pay him a bribe just to come into the country and i mm-hmm. you know when i understood and i turned to my assistant i said is he asking me for money and he said yes i said and i looked at him and i said and i said i'm not about to pay you any money to come into your country and he said oh it's not it's not a bribe, it's it's an act of friendship. And I said, we don't show friendship that way in my country, and I just walked on in. Um, but the soldiers could stop people on the street and would stop visitors, and basically they were like pirates. They would simply hold people up until they paid them something before they let them pass. mean, it was a country in pure chaos, and it's no better now, except, indeed, uh, there are were probably over two million people killed by... Rwandan patriotic forces and their allies in eastern Congo, and these are the same areas where enslavement occurred in order to mine coal. some of which comes out then through Rwanda, and some of which uh, finds other ways out to the, to the world at large. But the exploitation of people there, the cruelty toward women, the fact that they 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 don't only rape adult women, they rape babies. Uh, the the soldiers use rape uh, as a means of intimidation and cruelty to, to subjugate the, the people into a, into a kind of slavery and absolute shame and this proceeds it's proceeding today somewhere somewhere right now there's there's a, a, a woman being raped probably a good deal more than one at this time in Democratic Republic of Congo you can count on it uh, it's I don't know what the count is, but it's going to be a good deal higher than one. And it continues on and on. And this relates in part to, indeed, the uh, so-called blood diamonds and coltan uh, and other precious minerals that uh, are being taken today. And it's why the, the king of Belgium went in and first captured the so-called Belgian Congo, which it used to be called. He, he considered it to be his own private farm, can you imagine considering an area the size of the USA east of the Mississippi as one king's farm? But that's imagine. And and that's that's and the world tolerated it. We tolerated it, and we tolerate a horrific exploitation today. But the exploitation by people with white skin is no no different really than the exploitation of people whose skin is the same color. I mean, exploitation and subjugation of one, one uh, fabric and that's fabric of human life that is being subjugated and tortured.
0: To bring it home I did some research and um, a magazine called Toward Freedom claims that the 2000 launch of the Sony Playstation 2 required a large increase in the production of electric capacitors that, which were primarily made um, with this mineral that we're talking about and it greatly increased the world price from $49 a pound to $275 a pound. And um, it accelerated the mining in the Congolese hills um, where they were were seeking out the coal town. Um, then, since then, sales and increase of sales of computers, mobile phones, DVD players, um, and other products that use this mineral um, have continued that increase Sony claims it's discontinued its use um, of the Congolese mineral. Um, however, as we talked about earlier, it's bought from other countries, which actually don't like Rwanda, which actually don't have that mineral, and it's it's a major funding of their armies.
1: Yeah, it's um, there's just a, a minute fraction of what's going on that is that is known. Uh, I, I can remember when I was um, when I was in Burundi and I was so struck by the the cruelty and the genocide proceeding there uh, that I talked with one uh, high-level official who said oh bob you know people don't people really don't care much about uh, about all that um, and and uh, that was <laughs> that was that was the response at, a, at an official level that I had at the time and at one point but uh, what, I, what I discovered I suppose personally more than anything else when I was there is uh, you know that every human life is connected I mean we I, I remember uh, one particularly grotesque time it was shortly before I left the country and I um, I had gotten up that morning and by that time my family had already been removed because of the, of the risk factor and uh, and I had already been uh, my ambush, the ambush of my convoy, had already occurred, and I managed to stay on for a period of time, for some weeks, before the State Department sort of uh, pulled me out against my will. But at any rate, uh, I was having breakfast, and and I was outside, and a gardener came up and said, "Mr. Ambassador, uh, they killed about forty people in the village half a mile away last night. Uh, can you come?" And I pivoted on my chair and reached the phone and had, had uh, bring the car up so, and i I wanted to go there and I couldn't because they, the army blocked my path and so I went where there were some 200 or so uh, refugees from the village uh, in you know just half a mile away from my house who uh, were gathered together where they'd been driven by the army I mean there were four bodies there and at any rate two were women who you could still see you know the the blood, uh, staining their, staining the, the, the garb that they uh, put their African dress and Then there were two children's bodies, and the first, I went to the, to the father, and I said, I don't want to increase your pain, but if I could take some photos, maybe I could somewhat reduce the slaughter, if you do not mind, but I don't want to add anything to your horror, and he said, no, he didn't mind, so he went and he pulled back the, the brightly colored cloth that was wrapped around his 12 year old boy and there were the bayonet wounds all through his body so the soldiers couldn't say he was caught in a crossfire they had bayoneted him to death we're going to take a short
0: we're going to take a short break and come back with that Um, and and that is how real it gets so I ask all our listeners to hold on we're going to a short break we're also going to come back with Larry Jaffe and he's going to read the poem Cattle Car be right back (laughs) you <laughs>
5: This is Judy Collins from Judy's House of Oldies. And you're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. When you're in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, home of Zeus Broadcast Network and Hear Women Talk, there's a wonderful adventure that you should try. Carolina Safari Jeep Tours.
1: Go to www.carolinasafari.com and
0: check out Carolina Safari. Mention Hear Women Talk and get a discount from Carolina Safari
1: Jeep Tours.
5: See another side of myrtle beach get wild with wildlife explore history nature and mystery on a carolina safari jeep tour
2: have dottie and her team train or speak to your group about human trafficking and modern slavery the fastest growing crime in the world Trafficking occurs in every U.S. state and every country, and U.S. children are actively targeted by traffickers. With laws passed in 2008, many businesses may be liable and exposed to risks they are not even aware of. For more information, visit LasterGlobal.com or call 210-882-2259. That's 210-882-2259.
5: Hi, this is Deb Coletti, and I am your host of Life on Purpose, a radio show where I'll be having conversations with a wide range of fascinating women who are, in my opinion, leading a truly rich life. We will laugh. We will cry. We will sometimes get very serious. It will get edgy. It will definitely be irreverent and uh, no no subject off limits. Tune in to hear where we go and even join in the conversation. Life on Purpose with your host, Deb Coletti, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. on the Hear Women Talk Network. Hi, this is Michelle with LaBellamy Vineyard. You're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio and the Zeus Radio Network.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to Trafficked on Hear Women Talk Radio, produced and broadcast by the Zeus Radio Network. Thank you for holding through the break, and I am so happy to bring back to you our wonderful Poet Laureate, Larry Jaffe. He is the author of One Child Sold, and he has videos on our Trafficked social website um, that are very moving videos of him reading his poems. Um, also, I just wanted to note on this, Larry's points actually have saved lives. In um, the case that we uh, mentioned a few weeks earlier, where uh, a victim had been rescued due to the radio show, um, as we were getting help for this particular victim through medical and mental health counseling, people who didn't know it about human trafficking and modern slavery and didn't believe that it happened in the United States were critical to helping this victim and one of them the first one that finally believed us to understand what this poor woman had been through actually was quoting Barry's book and his poems his poems brought into perspective what this very professional scholar um, was trying to comprehend and understand and, and quite skeptically he was very skeptical I must say and once he understood, of course, he became the best ally for this victim and did get her the help she needed. So I want to commend Larry for that. His words did change lives. Um, with us today is Larry. I want to introduce him, and then he's going to read his poem. Welcome, Larry.
3: Wow, thank you, Dottie. I'm, I'm, the, the, I'm almost speechless, which, as you know, is hard to do. So, you know, always it is an honor to be on your show, especially with the ambassador today. Um, the particular poem I've chosen aligns with, with what you were talking about with going from slavery to genocide. Once you introduce slavery into a society, those beings are so dehumanized; they're not even considered to be part of, of the, the structure of that society anymore. So killing them, working them to death, means nothing. Simultaneously, um, this particular poem is called Cattle Car, and it was written about the Holocaust. But there were aspects of the Holocaust that people didn't realize, and I have a feeling there's aspects of today's genocidal activities that are also not seen, that there is resistance. Um, I wrote this poem after reading the diary of a group called the Jewish Warring Organization. And, and this is a quote from their diary. In addition to the harm the warriors wanted to inflict on the enemy, they wanted to show the world that in spite of their isolation, the Jews resisted the Nazi murder machine. It was important to show that the Jews did not go like lambs to the slaughter. In Poland, The history of this event was recorded as a rebellion act executed by the Guardia Ludala. Jewish warriors were not mentioned even once, in spite of the fact that not even one Pole participated. The Germans also contributed to the historic distortion by never admitting in public to the Jewish rebellion. And that spurred this poem called Cattle Car. I cannot see myself boarding a train to oblivion a rail to nowhere, going along with the herd for a ride. I cannot see myself, despite my Jewishness, going into a cattle car under anyone's volition, let alone my own. I cannot see myself riding the rails of a cattle car, packed inside like human sardines, and someone else holds the keys to my future. I cannot see myself climbing into the car, nor letting my family climb in this car without a fight. I see disheveled, disoriented Jews going for a ride, one-way tickets clutched in hands not made of fists. They travel to Auschwitz or Buchenwald. And I wonder about the travel agent that sold these tickets and the tour guide from hell that gave them the ride. I cannot see vacationing in Poland as the holiday. This was not Noah's Ark, it was Hitler's Ark, Nazi's Ark. And they were not taking two of every species, they were taking six million of one. But I cannot see myself walking calmly without a fight, suffering the dishonor of mental dismemberment, slowly to holocaust away number tattoos are not rosebuds or name tags and some say you were not there I say I was and am reborn yet again this was death camp and I do not hear cries of joy only the sounds of vultures parading in goose steps but the Nazis were very polite in their violence their uniforms crisply cut bleeding the fingers that clutched them The camp so spotless and scrubbed, even the ovens were self-cleaning. I wonder who made them. The Nazis so well-spoken, relocation they preached, the ghetto is so dirty, scour your soul, clean up your act, take a shower in this stall without drains. They said it so politely. Very few resisted, many went willingly going on a one-way holiday, bags packed with perishables? Where were the men? Where were the women? As mankind and children were merchandised and victimized, they were just following orders. The Nazis were just following orders. The Jews were just following orders. Today's Nazis are still following orders. I cannot see myself following orders. I will not follow orders.
0: Very moving. Thank you. Thank you And that goes back to the point that we were making before that it's much easier in a bureaucracy to not make waves but but when you see injustice you must make waves. you must speak out you must shine a light. Thank you so much, Larry.
3: My pleasure. I, Thank you again. It's an honor to, to read for you, and uh, I appreciate what you're doing oh so much.
0: Well, I'd like to direct our listeners to the Hear Woman Talk social site, and you can see Larry read this on video and uh, be inspired yet again. Um, we'll have you back soon, Larry. Thank you.
3: Thanks, Dottie. Have a good afternoon.
0: Okay, so uh, I hope you're inspired and moved and uh, realize that we said never again and that slavery was ended in the 1800s and yet slavery exists and never again didn't really mean um, never. It was only a few years. I'd like to go back to Ambassador Kruger and to finish his story. And some closing thoughts, and then we're going to move forward and introduce you to his wife, Mayor Pro Tem, Kathleen Krueger, Ambassador Krueger.
1: Well, <clears throat> that was, of course, a very arresting poem that uh, that Larry just read, and I'm um, and I, <clears throat> I I can feel I can feel with him the pain and the connection he feels because. As I was saying uh, about this father who had lost two sons, after he put the cloth back over his 12-year-old, he came over and there was the body of his 5-year-old son and he unwrapped it. When he unwrapped it, I saw that a soldier had taken an axe and split open his skull so that the white brains were showing uh, and he split it all the way down to the eye. And then after that, they cut off his genitals to add mutilation to murder. And my first thought was a shameful, embarrassing one. My first thought was, what a chance I had this poor peasant anyway. And then I immediately thought, Bob, oh, you can't think that. You can't worship a God if you believe that God loves one child more than another. God, God loves all children equally, surely. And if that's the case, then this child's life is as valuable as my life. if this child's life is as valuable as my life, then I must be willing to risk my life for this life. Because in the cosmic calculus, all the lives are the same. This person might have been an Einstein, might have been a Martin Luther King. I don't know what that child might have been. But the child is a human being, in my judgment, made by the same creator with a life of the same value as my own. And if I'm not risk, willing to risk my life for someone else's, then I'm out of touch with the universe itself. And with that, no, I, right. I got up and left, and uh, I could hear the, the army trucks were there, and the soldiers came in, and um, they were there, I'm sure, to... Not They didn't they didn't engage in slaughter in my presence, but uh, they had already done their slaughter. And those 200 people had to go back with their homes destroyed every one of those people except one was barefoot they didn't even have a pair of shoes I talked to someone once who taught a course in the holocaust and I told her about my experience of going back and to my amazement uh, people were it's 12 years after and they they remembered at the village that I some villages that I'd gone to and they were cheering and I said I couldn't understand it and they said well in cases like the Holocaust or genocide, when people are subjugated, tortured, imprisoned, punished, slaughtered. They think nobody must care. If anybody cared, this wouldn't be happening. And then they think if even one person speaks out, it shows that they are not forgotten, and it gives them some hope. I think each of us needs to calculate on this.
0: And I think that really is... that really is the point one person can make a difference wherever they are when they shine the light and uh, I appreciate your service and everything that you've done and I uh, I commend uh, your work um, we have a quick call um, and then we have to go to break um, we have a call from Dennis
3: hello Dolly
0: hi Dennis we have just a moment but please uh, give us your question and we'll do our best to answer it and if we don't get to it we'll answer it after the break
3: okay Dally, my, I'm, a, I'm an investigator here in the Detroit area Michigan and uh, my wife is Armenian and I hear this talk about the genocide and you know, the Turkish who are never going to apologize and I, the government is not pushing for any kind of apology because of the, uh, the The base is over in Turkey, and we think that's kind of wrong. I'd just like to get an opinion on that.
0: Ambassador Krueger, let's take a break, and then Ambassador Krueger, I'd like you to answer that. And then uh, also, Dennis, let's um, communicate on our social site and see if we can get a further response for you. Um, This is Dottie Laster, and we will be right back.
2: Hey, this is Jessica Dorovaj, host of the Where is My Guru show, and you are listening to Hear Women Talk Radio. You're tuned in to Traffic with host Dottie Lassiter on Hear Women Talk, produced by Zeus Radio Network. We welcome your questions or comments. Call in at 646 652 or post your comments on the chat line at hearwomantalk.com. Again, our call-in number is 646-652-2071. You may also listen to the live broadcast over your phone at the same number. That's 646-652-2071.
5: police psychics find me with kelly snyder and valerie graham this fascinating program explores how vetted psychic sleuths team up with law enforcement to find success show how this can bring awareness hope and closure to families also presented are important possibilities which psychic assistance offers for law enforcement especially at the beginning of an investigation host kelly snyder is a retired federal agent with 25 years in law enforcement he's an author and the founder of Find Me, a non profit organization of talented worldwide psychic crime solvers, canine search and rescue volunteers, and others who provide leads in missing person and homicide cases. Find Me's work creates a raised awareness of how psychic abilities can add a tool to a detective's arsenal. Snyder is teamed with co-host Valerie Graham, an author and former sheriff staffer in correctional psychiatry. Join them Tuesdays 2 p.m. at hearwomentalk.com H-E-R-E Womentalk.com
4: Hi, my name is Jesse Jordan with Further Faster Initiatives, and you're listening
2: to Hear Women Talk Radio.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to Trafficked with Jody uh, Laster, produced and broadcast on the Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk Radio. Ambassador Krueger, we have one minute. Can you attempt to answer Dennis's question?
1: Well, in my judgment, we can never deal with evil. We can never transcend it. We can transform it until we recognize it. And I think we need to recognize and acknowledge the slaughter that took place in Armenia, the slaughter that's taking place now in in Democratic Republic of Congo, the slaughter that occurred in Burundi and Rwanda and is still occurring today. If we refuse to recognize it, we are unwilling to deal with it, and it continues. But murder and genocide and trafficking do not survive in the light. The, The thing that I most sought to do in Burundi was simply to bring these actions to light, And in doing so, the fact is, lives were saved because they didn't want their identity to be revealed.
0: Thank you, and that is so important. And I would urge our listeners to uh, view the social side again at Traffic. You have a book... um, uh, that's titled From Genocide to Hope in Burundi" that you and your wife wrote, and I would urge our listeners to pick that book up and read it. I read it in one sitting. I couldn't put it down. And I hope to have you back back very soon. Thank you, Ambassador Kruger.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Well, now we move forward with a, a nowhere near enough time, but at least we can get to meet... Um, Ambassador Kruger's wife, Kathleen Krueger, She uh, was stood right beside him and lived and raised children in Burundi as he was uh, uh, representing the United States there. And through my fortunate um, benefit, she is the mayor pro team in New Braunfels, Texas. And she and I, in this small town, almost Norman Rockwell-type existence, um, have actually come across trafficking. And we are working... Um, in many ways to bring the light and shine the light on slavery here in Small Town USA. Welcome, Kathleen.
4: Thank you so much, Dottie. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: Well, I'm so glad. I know you're busy, too. We always laugh. We're, we're talking at the end of the day sometimes, which can be as late as 1 a.m., so I appreciate yeah. you being with us. You're very busy.
4: Well, it's uh, no, it's my pleasure, and I, I just want to say publicly that You are among the people I most admire in the world, and I just, I not only appreciate our personal friendship, but much more than that, I appreciate what you do for the victims of trafficking and forced labor all over the world.
0: Well, thank you. I'm very humbled, because I know you've met some amazing people, and and I'm glad to be uh, working side-by-side with you. Um, Let's talk about what we're doing here in New Braunfels and uh, what brought us together. (laughs)
4: Well, it's, it has been a fascinating journey for me and an eye-opening journey. I certainly would have always thought before that human trafficking and forced labor might be something that occurs only in our biggest cities, perhaps New York or Chicago. Certainly it would happen overseas. But to think that it could be happening in a small town in central Texas was a wake-up call that I had that I can never forget. You contacted me, of course, Dottie, because you observed something that had all the earmarks of human trafficking, yes. and certainly it did. And I, I, I've joined you a few times um, to look surreptitiously, surreptitiously at what was going on. And I can explain in general to your listeners that there is a restaurant in this area, and it it delivers a group of workers to its doors in a single van Every morning. About 12 hours later, that same van comes and picks up those same workers who are then transported to the same house every night where they all stay together. It's quite obvious that these are not family members. Um, They don't appear to be related, certainly, but their movements are highly controlled and It just gave me an example and a lesson that these kinds of crimes can be committed right where we are, and that we all need to keep our eyes open um, for possible victims and victimization. And as Dottie can attest, she and I have been trying to work through every channel we know to find assistance to these victims.
0: And isn't it surprising? I remember when we first reported, we thought, okay, that's done. It's all right. And it's actually uh, taken a lot of meetings, a lot of phone calls, um, a city proclamation, which I'm very happy that New Braunfels adopted. Um, Can you talk about some? uh, You know, I, I think that's something anyone in any town could do is to get their city council involved. And can you tell how to do that and how it worked for us?
4: Absolutely. I think that we all agree that one of the things we can all try to do is to shine a light into the darkest corners of humanity and onto these crimes. And one way of doing that is by educating people about the crime itself. Um, So Dottie was was, um, very innovative in talking to me about the possibility of our city doing a public proclamation against human trafficking. And that's something that every one of you can do wherever you are living right now. There is language on the internet. There are the words of President Obama or other presidents that can be incorporated into these proclamations. And so once Dottie contacted me, what I did was contact our city secretary, who certainly has a lot of experience composing proclamations. And when I say a proclamation, it's, it's a moment at the beginning of a city council meeting where the mayor reads a proclamation, um, presents a certificate to the person being honored, and in our case, our city council meetings are broadcast live on television. And so those words then go to a broader audience. So we did do a proclamation against human trafficking. Um, The mayor of New Brunswick, Texas, presented it to Dottie Laster. And it was just one more way that we could educate people shine a light on this crime that surprisingly is probably happening right here in my own hometown
0: and I think what's real key is it begins to get it awareness of course to write that everyone had to get a little research done Um, they had to come together and agree to sign it and be photographed supporting this the other thing is now it's documented that this city does make it a high priority and so we can use that to meet with other city leaders and it's a seed that was planted that can trickle down and grow um, to grow fruit and one of the fruits it's grown is that the law enforcement officers the the New Braunfels Police Department will be receiving training on this issue so um, that's a real tangible outcome
4: that's right we we just have to take it one step at a time and i remember when i first ran for city council i thought can i really be interested in stop signs and drainage in streets i was so consumed with the genocide in rwanda and burundi and thinking about the famine in darfur the palestinian israeli crisis i realized that there was nothing i could do about those things from where i was living in central texas but what i could do was volunteer to help where i was in the ways I can and that's what I would urge everyone to do start right where you live reach out try to be of help um, that's all we can do and and as we each light that single candle we can ultimately light the world
0: and I think that is really so important because with your help we have lit a couple of candles and we will make a difference in, in many people's lives and um um We're getting, of course, as I said, we don't have near enough time. We're getting to the end. And I always leave with something very uplifting and promising. And, um, I'd like you to share that, for you to share that with me today. Um, I was just able to work on a case of an African, um, victim of trafficking who had actually been, um, sentenced for a crime he didn't commit as a way for the trafficker to take attention this was an individual off of herself and by shining the light on her activities we now have this boy safe he has a T visa applied for and I do believe that he will be protected and without a couple of phone calls without trained people that responded and asked the right questions um, this boy would have faced deportation and, and probably certain death um, back to a very high conflict area and so just because it's in Burundi or Africa doesn't mean it's not touching us here and um, I just wanted your thoughts on that as we close out our show
4: Well I absolutely do think that that we are all bound together and that because the United States certainly is a country which receives many immigrants legally and illegally I think it's up to all of us to Keep our eyes open to those who are most vulnerable, particularly those who are brought in illegally and then are forced to work. They, they feel that they have no rights. They feel perhaps afraid even of law enforcement or others. And through the work of people like you, Dottie, who can educate the rest of us to, about the rights that these trafficked victims do have, I think that we can feel more comfortable reaching out and helping and certainly you are helping in saving uh, people one person at a time. And I'm just proud to be your partner in Central Texas in trying to eradicate um, the crime of human trafficking. And I just want to be a, a warning to everyone that it could be happening right down the street from where you are now. We all need to keep our eyes open.
0: Well, thank you so much. And um, I want to thank Ambassador Krueger and yourself again for the time that you've given um, to our listeners. And uh, understanding how busy you are All are still Still helping others um, After you've done your public service And I want to tell our listeners um, I'm excited about next week's show We have a district attorney From Harris County And uh, we're going to look at what they're doing there In regards to uh, 90 seconds To uh, uh, Bring a light to the massage parlors That are prolific in Houston And I also want to leave you with this good good hope and and inspiration. You can always write a letter to your editor. You now know how to get a city proclamation. You can write your cell phone provider. You can write wherever your child's gaming unit comes from and say you're aware of this now, and you expect better from your products. You don't just buy on price. You buy on price, economic, and environmental social good, and that's the true price of our products. And no child's life, limbs, or future is worth any product of convenience. This is Dottie Laster for Trafficked.